You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we play early 90s first person shooters. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Uh, got some interesting farce to witness this week. Uh, I'm glad that this is the only time I'm going to be saying the name DeSantis this week, although we are bringing back two midside mainstays for the first couple of stories here. So... It's good that there's some variance this year because I'm afraid this year is going to turn into a lot of uh, Florida and DeSantis bashing. But uh, still can't escape the old, the old mainstays. Joining me this trip to witness all this farce from Dale's lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Well, what a week it's been. Uh, more rain uh, this week, more rain in the forecast. I think uh, at some point uh, we will have filled all the reservoirs in California and still be in drought. So uh, uh, it's uh, it's crazy. I think I saw a video from this week. Uh, they closed Yosemite because there's too much snow. So Yosemite is closed. We got four feet of snow or something. Why can't Mother Nature get it right? Not enough rain, too much rain. If only someone could socially engineer the weather. That's right. Well, <clears throat> you know, Mother Nature is white, um, or at least has white privilege, because, or is she indigenous? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but uh, I mean, she's always been portrayed as a white woman, right? I, well, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> but, I mean, she's got privilege, right? She's got weather privilege. Yeah. I blame climate change, I'm of course, because climate change is the blame for everything. Well, right, and that's something I was going to say about what you're saying, William. I mean, shouldn't something be said here about California's climate in itself? <laughs> Isn't it a, a desert climate mainly? Yes. I mean, obviously, it's it. it I, I believe it should be split into many states, so Northern California is different from Southern California. But by and large, when you say California, you're talking about a desert climate, are you not? Yeah, yeah. So isn't the notion of saying California is always in a drought kind of disingenuous? Yeah, yeah, it's a drought compared to what, I think, is the important part. Right, and what needs to be done to address the climate conditions? Yeah, yeah. How can we, more importantly for me, how can we uh, make it so that we can actually play kickball on the dirt baseball diamond versus the grass next to the baseball diamond? Because we've un been... We've had one of the games this season uh, so far on the dirt. Uh, the rest because have been on the grass because the dirt is too wet. It's basically like a sand. It's more like a uh, a quicksand pit, like a, from Indiana Jones, like a death trap, than it is a, a, a place where you can play on right now. Well, and I think really you're getting to the heart of the issue, but I also don't want to jump forward to our final topic for the Life on the Midside segment. So why don't we roll into it, and then we'll go forward and bring this back. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right, let's hit Life on the Midside. 
Does life really suck? Are we just complaining? I hope that this mic is on. Cause I'm on a roll here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and smile. Yeah. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. We appreciate any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. Uh, Something I would like affirmed is whether Trump is actually going to be indicted or not. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really care. I was more putting on the facade of what I've been hearing people say this week, William. And I don't I don't even know if it's people outside the internet because outside the internet I deal with people who don't really know who Donald Trump is. Well, that's yeah. a lot. Kids even know who Donald <laughs> yeah, Trump yeah, everyone is. Everyone knows who Trump is. You know, is. they're not aware of what's going on, right? But last week we talked about that Donald Trump was supposed to be indicted on Tuesday. There were rumors in the media. There were rumors on social media. Donald Trump came out and said it. But still, to the moment I am speaking these words, because I don't know what's going to happen after we talk and when this episode is released, Donald Trump has not been indicted. And here's the thing, William. I think this is a great example that people should hold on to because things are so quick nowadays. People forget them, right? They're so ephemeral is the word I'm looking for, right? Something will happen like this and then we'll be distracted by something else and we'll never remember this. But I think this is really important to remember. This is something that shows how both sides are unintentionally working together. I don't think this is a grand conspiracy, but this benefits everyone. It benefits everyone. And I don't mean everyone, because obviously it doesn't benefit you and me, William. But it's all a show where Trump gets his attention from this controversy, and the media gets their clicks from this attention, And the left gets to raise up their boogeyman. So everybody wins here. And so this stays in the conversation and in the in the media cycle. Yeah, it's I think. uh, Who knows if uh, Trump will get a diet? I still think uh, if he does, it will be quite a boon for his campaign. Um, but and it'll be a boon for the media. Yeah. Therefore, he will at some point be indicted. I think the media will do everything possible to make sure Trump is the candidate. They will continue to run negative stories, of course, but like they they almost died during uh, if uh, post COVID, right? The media outlets are are going bankrupt left and right. They need this again, right? The Trump was a huge money maker for them, and it, it just makes a lot of business sense for them to uh, drum up this uh, this uh, boogeyman again and again and again. And the best way to do that is to have him have a robust uh, primary. Well, not just a robust primary. They want him to, like you said, be the actual candidate because then people will actually pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. So we'll see what continues to happen here. Right. But just a reminder that it's all a show. Right. I, I'm actually surprised people were shocked that he wasn't indicted. 
Like we covered it more. I wanted to cover it more as like, hey, this is what people are saying. But people seriously thought he was going to be indicted. I think he will be. I don't think it'll be a big deal. I just think it'll be a way to get clicks. Yeah, and of and, course, and the timing would be better, right? In October, that's why they call it an October surprise. So, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this in October. Is it really going to be a surprise in October? <laughs> well, we already know I, about it now. If we get an October surprise every year, is it a surprise anymore? That's a that's a question, philosophical question for you. I think the surprise is dependent upon what it is, not that there's going to be a surprise. Yeah, true. Uh, and it'll be Russian collusion. Like, who's gonna, who's Russia gonna collude with this time? Because Trump, uh, Trump seems to be uh, pro Ukraine, and DeSantis seems to be uh, pro negotiation. So, does that mean now DeSantis is colluding with Russia? If you're not with Ukraine, you're against them. So he must be colluding with Russia. Okay. All right. Well, of course, when we're talking about uh, people that the media loves to talk about and people that have been a, a regular here in midside conversation, Kanye West. And I only bring this up, William, because I saw people tweeting about this and I had no idea why they were tweeting about this. And I still have no idea why they were tweeting about this. So apparently Kanye West posted a story on Instagram or a post. I don't want to like confuse the terminology here in which he talked about Jewish people. This is what he said. Watching Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street made me like Jewish people again. No one should take anger against one or two individuals and transform that into hatred towards millions of innocent people. No Christian can be labeled anti-Semite knowing Jesus is a Jew. Thank you, Jonah Hill. I love you. So, William, is this an example of somebody backwards engineering individualism where he seems to be insinuating here that there were one or two people he was angry against who were Jewish, so he collectively hated all Jewish people, but now he's seeing a Jewish person he does like, and he's realizing, wait, there's a variety of people within a group, so we should look at people towards individualism? <laughs> or is this simply an example of showing that there is no good Kanye or bad Kanye, there's just crazy Kanye? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think this, I don't know if it could be, this. This is this good Kanye? I think this is good Kanye. Um, I mean, he's crazy. We already know he's crazy. Um, uh, but yeah, I, <clears throat> the, uh, the no Christian can be labeled anti-Semite knowing Jesus is a Jew is a great line. Uh, we should, uh, we should, he should make that into his next, uh, Christian album. Um, I love how it's like a non sequitur for what came before. Yeah. Yeah. I think it should, it's, uh, this is, this is a, this is the lyrical genius that is, uh, Kanye West. I don't know what more can be said on this topic. Like we're for me, it feels, I don't mean discount anything this guy says, but we know he's dealing with a mental issue. And so you've got to, there, there's certain behaviors that are just to be expected and uh, saying crazy stuff like this, I think falls in that category. What do you think, Justin? Well, it's exactly what you just said, where you said, I don't know what more there is to be said on it. Yeah. Why then William, is there such a fixation in online conversation? Like you would think in online conversation when there needs to be the, the next and the greatest thing almost immediately, right? The cycle is so quick online. Why do people keep going back to things like this? It is gets it the because clicks. it gets the clicks, Justin? 
That's all we care about. That's all we care about, the clicks. Even, like, the random people tweeting about stuff? I don't know. It's bizarre, man. It is bizarre. bizarre. But, I mean, I think that bizarreness leads into the next story that I found from uh, thehill.com. And it's, politics are increasingly a dating deal breaker, especially for women. And I'm going to read some statistics and information that I pulled out of the article and then see what you have to say about it. Because obviously, William, I think this affects you more than me, especially being in Southern California, especially being a gay man. So they gave a little bit of a story at the beginning of the article and it started talking about this woman named Nadia. That was a false name because we needed to protect Nadia, right? There might be backlash against her not wanting to date someone. She's a 33-year-old woman from Chicago. And it says, as she drove her date back home, he revealed that he had not voted during the 2016 presidential election because he had not liked either candidate, former President Trump or the Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. And then Nadia said, I was like, I'm never speaking to him again. I almost kicked him out of my car. William, first, before we continue, I just want to say to Nadia's date, uh, welcome to the midside. Because <laughs> that is exactly man. the stance I took. <laughs> but before we even continue, this is something I don't understand, right? I understand, like, if you want to make Nadia a reality TV star, that's fine. Because I don't think we should watch reality TV and reality TV dating shows and be like, oh, these are examples of dating culture and these are examples of normal people it's just like hey here's some people with issues or large personalities that we're going to put them through a dating experiment and see what happens i don't think we should take it as representative of anything but this i mean the next line that i have here is nadia's or nadia's memorably bad date reflects broader shifts experts have seen in dating cultures in the years since trump was elected should we William take her example of somebody reasonably and rationally said, I don't like either candidate, so I'm not going to vote. And her taking that as get out of my car. Should we take that as an example of anyone except someone who has an issue? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a succinct argument for repealing the 19th Amendment. I don't know. What do you think, Justin? I don't know if I can say that without getting in trouble. (laughs) Well, as a woman, I can say that. I'm allowed to say that. Because uh, that would remove my right to vote as well, since I identify as a woman. But uh, jokes aside, um, yeah, this is like super unhealthy, right? That this is the the this gets back to something we've been talking about the Hitlerfication of everything, right? You're literally voting it. This is just like voting in the uh, the Nazi Party in Germany, right? This the last uh, election clearly was right, and it's and and it's not right. Um, I think Michael Malice was talking on one of the podcasts and talking about. How you know he just wrote a book on the the real evils of uh, living under uh, under he's wrote a book on on North Korea and I think he wrote a book book on on Russia as well and uh, it's uh, I think this is focusing on East Germany I think um, it's we're living in a time where people are moralizing to the same extent over things that are that have other rational alternatives. And this is a good example of that. But Justin, this is also a trend, I think, of the of the uh, chickification of things, and that Adam Carolla brings up all the time. Um, so there's a at the same time as this news story uh, is making the rounds, there's a bunch of viral clips from this uh, 
podcast where a bunch of guys are talking to a bunch of girls about the dating world. Um, I don't remember what podcast it was on, but it was uh, the, the clips have been going around YouTube. And they, the, they, at the, the girls are asked to, to rate the guys or something like that. And, and, um, then the guys are asked to rate the girls and they, they kind of hem and haw and they're like, they're like, well, no one is a 10 here. And they're all clearly not 10s. The girls are not, but they all say they are all 10s. All the girls are 10s, including the fat ones. They're all 10s in their head. They're all 10s. And all the guys are below five and the guys are actually fairly attractive. Um, and this mismatch is something we've talked about for years on the show, Justin. We back to the remember the Tinder report, wasn't it the Tinder uh, report that broke down like the that um, that um, guys will look around their attractiveness and higher, but girls will only select the most attractive guys. It's like all these will say eighty percent of the girls are chasing after like ten percent of the men or something like that, and um, and we're seeing there's no we 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 make a lot of talk about clamping down and and mitigating toxic masculinity in males and how that's done there's a lot of uh, almost to the uh, to the detriment where we're attacking real masculinity now um but there's nothing there's no check or balance on this kind of toxic femininity in our culture it is in fact it is encouraged um and one other thing i would connect it to we've seen and we talked about on previous shows about um uh making unhealthy things like you know, really fat people trying to make them sound attractive. We've been talking talking about uh, all the uh, replacement of trans women uh, with women. So you know the woman of the year award goes uh, one of them goes to the a trans uh, woman. Um, we also see this in what is what is presented now. We talked in the nineties about oh we're presenting these super skinny unattainable women as uh, female beauty and that's that's hurting women and. Uh, Causing bulimia, if you remember, that was the cause of bulimia and anorexia back in the day, was uh, model pictures on Vogue magazine. But now if you look at Vogue, it's all ugly fat people. So are we supposed to believe now, Justin, that that's having no effect? Well, it's having the effect they want. Yeah. It to we're, we're defeminizing yes. femininity. Right? Well, and by, and as you're saying, by extension, demasculining masculinity yeah i don't know i put a lot out there justin but i I think it's all connected i agree with you it's all connected do you want me to read any of these statistics or do you think they're not necessary based upon what you just said no i think it's it's adding facts to my opinion so it supports my argument so let's go through it okay so i'm going to read some statistics here which i do agree with william back up his his argument so Americans as a whole say that political divisions have become a bigger obstacle to pursuing relationships of late. 86% think it has grown more difficult to date someone who supports the opposing political party in recent years, according to a 2020 YouGov economist poll. This one I kind of have more sympathy for, William, because I do think the, uh, the feminization of things, as you said, and also the divide that's been created... Uh, does make it more difficult to date someone who supports the opposing political party. So I don't even think this question in itself, the way it's worded, necessarily means people wouldn't. They're just recognizing the reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah. Moving forward. But that feeling was especially strong among women. 
and Democrats. While more than half of men said they would date someone with different views, just 35% of women said the same thing. And only 40% of Democrats said they would date across party lines, compared to 48% of Republicans and 49% of independents. By the way, can you explain to me, William, if you're an independent, how you cannot vote against across party lines? I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how that <laughs> works exactly. Do you only vote date, other, or you only date, date independence? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is like objectivism. Like this is why like anytime there's like a decent looking woman in objectivism or girl in objectivism, they all go nuts. Like it's the same thing with independence. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, the final statistics here, more than 70% of Democrats who are single and looking would not consider dating someone who voted for Trump. Now, William, I think this gives the final connection with everything you're saying and shows how it's all connected. According to a 2020 Pew Research Center poll. Well, first of all, they're going back to the year 2020 where things were incredibly um, polarized around Trump and incredibly energized around Trump because of the election. So who knows if that still holds today? Although I think it would. Uh, much larger than the share who said they wouldn't date a Republican. On the other side of the aisle, Republicans were more likely to overlook a prospective date, either being a Democrat or casting a vote for Clinton. Now, notice how they don't say the number, right? They're drawing an equivalency here between 70% of Democrats and Republicans were more likely to overlook a prospective date, either being a Democrat or casting a vote for Clinton. Who knows what the percentage is there? But more likely seems like 51% or 52. Do you see what I'm saying, William? Yeah. Yeah. And how many people are Democrats and voted for Trump? Because there was a lot of those in the election both times. So where would you fall in that? I guess the, the voted for Trump trumps it, so to speak. 70%, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what party you're in. If you voted for Trump, you're automatically Hitler. But I think this is the thing here, right? And when we're talking about the feminization of things, you know, we often, and even on this show not just the general culture, but on the show, we love to blame it on sort of like an agenda or a group of people intentionally pushing these, you know, ideas of the femininity being better. And there is that, right? You talked about the body positivity movement and all of these yeah, things, yeah. right? Making fat beautiful. But there is also the simple, basic logistical level of the mechanism of reception of news and information nowadays, Notifications. Notifications are very immediate. They're very materialistic. They're very emotional. They're very chemical. And this example of the Trump Trump card, as you called it, is an example of that. It's you've allowed your brain to be programmed by the algorithms, the dopamine hits. And because of that, you're associating that with the decisions you make. Your rational mind has been overridden overwritten by these elements and it's the same thing with all of this right yeah, yeah. this divisiveness this it's tribalism justin it, it's right. we're allowing imagine if the algorithm was and i'm putting the algorithm in scare quotes here the scary algorithm was just as encouraging of tribalism around racial lines right we've seen stories where 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 uh, people talked, remember the talk, that talked about the YouTube rabbit hole of white supremacy videos. And that was, uh, you know, YouTube made tons of changes to their platform to do that. But the same is not for politics, right? Politics is okay. It's okay for you to be tribalistic around, uh, around, uh, political views. 
and uh and they encourage the lack of rational thinking you know like like we were getting the nuance of oh well you might be a democrat and then vote for trump right like that that is a rational choice that, that you know there's lots of reasons why that might be uh your view on things but we, we just toss all that out the window you're supposed to think on long tribalistic lines not along uh which flag do you carry not not which ideas do you advocate for uh that's okay, the so then part. i'm gonna right and i'm gonna ask you a question based upon what you just said and what I just said. I was sort of making an implicit argument, a subversive argument, that the algorithm necessarily leads to tribalism. Yeah. That the way this is all designed necessarily leads to tribalism. Could it be just the combination of the algorithm with our two-party system that leads to tribalism? Because as you said... You know, or as we said when we talked about independence, how does it make sense that 49% of independents won't date across party lines? What I'm essentially saying is, yeah. is it because there aren't more options that it politically leads to that, which then that seeps over into other things? Or is it the algorithm necessarily leads to collectivism, tribalism, because it puts you in different groups and different paths and that's all you see and normalize? Hmm. See, I think it's more that there is a mainstream, Right. There's this, there's this uh, cultural levers being controlled by the woke, quote unquote, and their boogeyman is well defined in this religion, right? The devil is defined in this religion, and so the fact that the algorithm is the algorithm is tribalistic is implicit. I think that's true, but I think it's more that the way the culture is shaped. I don't think it has necessarily anything to do with the two party system itself. I think that's more of a consequence. You know, the party, the two party system, uh, is just another tool that is used to keep it. The debate is never about whether we should have tribalism, right? It's, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Right. It, it, it's paralyzing the thinking. Uh, it's, it's stopping the evolution of society because it, the algorithm is just basically confirmation bias signal. Just encouraging okay. that confirmation bias. So what you're saying is, the question isn't about the two-party system. The question is about woke culture. Can social media end in anything but woke culture? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it it, 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 it will amplify whatever is mainstream and continue to distort it on whatever uh, uh, premises that that are that are there it's just going to continue to go down that to its logical end right and the logical end well, for woke is all against all right it's uh right it, that's what i'm asking you that's what i'm asking you because you're you're on the premise that the mainstream is currently woke and i'm saying is part of the reason the mainstream became woke the rise of social media do you understand what i'm saying I don't think so. I think we were we were going pretty woke before social media was really a thing. I mean, I, I was on campus and Facebook wasn't even invented yet, and things were getting pretty woke. Oh, uh, trust me, I remember there was an anti-hate rally. There was a hate-hate rally at Ithaca when I was there, right? I mean, that was something we talked about in the early years of the show, is being uniquely able to identify these issues because of where I went to school and, you know, you joined and it's where you went to school, right? So... It's just it's just an interesting thought. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if we consider Zuckerberg went to Harvard, right? Yeah. Maybe the algorithms and social media were designed this way because of woke culture and not vice versa. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, Silicon Valley, though, was not woke, right? People went there to change the world. Sure, they had that sort of idealistic bent, but it was very libertarian for a long time, even during Zuckerberg's early years, right? I think the the woke is trickling in from a cultural side, not necessarily the algorithm side, but the algorithm is creating that, like, the algorithm is just going to be the uh, the accelerant. The algorithm, the algorithm in social media is the, the gasoline in this case, I think. Yeah. And to, and to circle back to our story here, what's sad is when people let it affect their non-digital personal lives. Yeah. Right? You're making these choices of who to date and who to spend your life with based upon how it's going to look to the algorithm. Like, yeah, that's pretty sad. Well, I know it's been, it's, it's, so we've, we've, you know, listeners have heard me complain about dating out here in California before, but you know, I can't let people, first of all, you would seem weird by letting people know you own guns, but I know it's a showstopper for almost every person out here. You know what I mean? Like it's just a showstopper in LA. Why do you own guns? You're not, a, you're not a cop, right? Um, or, you know, I don't, you know, I don't follow any woke causes. I don't understand, uh, I don't go to drag shows, you know, like all these things are just, they're either looked at as weird or they turn into weird showstoppers about conversations about politics where it's like, hey, like, these are like, I I care, the, the behavior of who you vote for counts is something you do once every four years versus your day-to-day behavior and your values as expressed in your daily life, that's what I'm interested in. That's what's going to attract me. That's what I'm looking for in a mate. How dare you focus on your daily, day-to-day life, William? How could you be so narcissistic? Yeah. And I think what you're saying, it leads into uh, the last thing I want to talk about, which I think is completely related to... You know, when we're talking about media and how it presents ideas and culture and what's the relationship between culture and the algorithm and social media and the the feminization of of culture. Uh, The Washington Post ran a story this week, the rise of doomers, people who think climate change can't be stopped. And the essential argument of this piece is that climate doomers are more dangerous than climate deniers. Right, because climate doomers are the ones who recognize there's a problem but don't think we can do anything about it to the point that they have a sort of defeatism about everything, which I found interesting. Before we go into the specifics of this article, William, I found it interesting because when I initially figured out what this article was about, I kind of thought that they were taking aim at us. By calling us doomers. And what I mean by that is one of my arguments is always this idea that, oh, we can change the climate and we have so much control over things where we have to sort of accept what we can control and accept what we can't. And I kind of thought they were trying to relabel us as doomers. Okay, it sounds like you don't have any thoughts about that. Well, so. I'm trying. I'm trying to reformulate what the article is about because, yeah, I I think that there's this misplaced sense of we're taking the what used to be existential angst, right? In the '90s, there's all this angsty stuff in the culture and this irreverency, and now it's all been turned into anxiety and uh, thinking that you're grandiose because you you feel the pain of the planet or whatever. And 
for me, it's weird. Like that, it's it's a cultural change that it seems very foreign to me. It's always seemed very foreign to me. Well, it's it's the irony that I was saying when I was calling you a narcissist for worrying about your day to day life, because there is a narcissism that is baked into this. So yeah. Let's read some of this and, and figure out how the narcissism comes about and how, ironically, they've kind of ended this article in a, a place where I think we should end up, but not in the same way. So the article starts, when Sean Yura was 26 years old and working as an engineer, he started watching documentaries about climate change. Yura, who was struggling with depression and the loss of a family member, was horrified by what he learned about melting ice and rising extreme weather. He started spending hours on YouTube watching videos made by fringe scientists who warned that the world was teetering on the edge of societal collapse or even near human extinction. Yura started telling his friends and family that he was convinced that climate change couldn't be stopped and humanity was doomed. This is this, how is this just how is this not a religion? This sounds exactly like those uh uh, you know, how did you come to Jesus stories that, that people tell in churches? How is this not different? No, it's the same. But what's interesting is the article tries to argue actually against this by placing the blame on Yura or Yura or however you say it and other people like him, right? They're trying to distance themselves from the religion aspect of it. You know, they say, 12 years to save the planet was actually we have 12 years to cut global emissions in half to stay consistent with a 1.5 Celsius scenario, a scientist explained. Then 12 years to save the planet becomes interpreted by the public as if we don't stop climate change in 12 years, something catastrophic happens. It was really a game of telephone, the scientist added. So, William, with what you were just saying about the religious aspect... Is this scientist presenting a valid argument against the religious aspect of it, or is he just using technobabble to make it seem like he's not pushing a religion? Yeah, yeah. He's trying to save, he's trying to say, this is the priestly class saying, you're not interpreting God's word correctly. The science, Justin, the science. Right. Because what he's, he's trying to say is, we only gave a scenario about how important it was in the next 12 years to stay consistent with 1.5 degrees Celsius, right? But isn't the purpose of the 1.5 degrees Celsius to save the planet? We've got to follow the science. And yes, that's that. that well, if it hit 1.5 degrees, all of these catastrophic things were supposed to happen, right? The polar bears were going to die. Um, uh, Florida was going to go underwater. Um, what else? Uh, there was going to be... New York City was going to go underwater, yeah, that's wasn't true. it? Yeah, Um uh, Japan, the Netherlands, all these places. So it's really dishonest to call it a game of telephone. It's not a game of telephone. So then they, the article and we've, Well, hold on. When we've been told by scientists too that we have to, that that it's okay to scare the public to get them into political action. You remember that? Yep. So. Yep. And that's what this article is about, right? So continuing. Worry and even occasional despair about cl the climate crisis is normal. Okay, this is the premise I'm going to disagree with ultimately. I mean, isn't that an insane premise, William? Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. We... we, It's definitely insane. I mean, imagine in your daily life, like, having, like, this ennui about the climate crisis. 
right? It's like you you go into a meeting and you just look really upset, and someone's like, "Why you look upset?" Oh, I was just thinking about the climate crisis. Wouldn't I was worried about your. I was worried about your soul and all the sin in your life. Well, uh, how about this one? Similarly, if you came in a meeting and, and you told someone, oh, I was worried about the, you know, the oncoming uh, impossibility of or necessary death we're all going to experience. Yeah, the heat death. I was just worried about the heat death of the universe. I was worried about the sun exploding. Uh, the sun exploding is exactly where I'm going to end up eventually. I was worried about the second coming of Jesus Christ. and It just got me sad. Most scientists believe that without deeper cuts, the world is headed for two to three degrees Celsius of global warming. But higher temperatures are still possible if humans get unlucky with how planets respond. The planet responds to higher CO2 levels. Kate Marvel, uh, which has to be a fake name, <laughs> a climate scientist at the NASA Goddard Institute, has said that while humans probably won't go extinct due to climate change, not going extinct is a low bar. It's a question of risk, not known catastrophe. Uh, Wait a minute. Know, or, Hold on. Now, that's not true. We, I got to stop you right there because we have to. We've got to follow the science. And everyone says it's catastrophe. There's not, I don't know that, that it is catastrophism. I mean, there used to be, this is back in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s. There was a website that listed all the things that climate change, global warming causes. And it was raising sea levels, lowering sea levels, more snow, less snow. Uh, less birds, more birds, less insects, more insects. It was every sort of conflicting catastrophe was possible under, under global warming. Right. But I do think it's interesting that there's actually a scientist out there who said it's a question of risk, not known catastrophe, because I think that goes back to what you were saying about uh, the sun exploding, right? Yeah. So to close the article, they refer back to the the guy who became a doomer. For his part, Yura or Yura, however you want to say it, has advice for those who are suffering from the same sort of fatalism that he once felt. Stop engaging excessively with negative climate change content online and start engaging in your community, he said. You can be one of those voices showing there is a support for the solutions. Now, I... I, I I still disagree with the idea that, you know, this is something that needs to be fought, like you were seems to be saying here, right? There is support for the solutions. But the idea of stop engaging excessively with negative climate change content online and start engaging in your community. I think it's interesting, William, that somebody recognized connecting with the real world and the people around you and seeing how things are really being affected is more important than, as you're saying, this spiritual concern regarding things that are beyond our control, right? The reason there is not existential dread about death, at least I don't have constant existential dread about death, is I can't control it, Yeah. right? Same thing. I can't control the heat death of the universe. I can't control, as you said, the sun ultimately going supernova one day. Which if we focus on that, right, if we, we use the argument, oh, we got to fix climate change for future generations, well, what does it matter? Humanity is going to die eventually anyway because of the sun exploding, right? Now, yeah, I know you can get in a spaceship and leave and hopefully we can invent interstellar travel and blah, blah, blah. The point I'm making, though, by bringing this up is you can't worry about things you can't control. And that's why this doom and fatalism was created. 
doomers and fatalism were created because of, as we talked about with the, the previous story, when the algorithm cultivates this kind of content and you constantly have people getting their dopamine hits and their immediate reactions, it becomes emotional, it becomes panic, and that's what people worry about. They're not connected with their everyday lives. They're connected with what's being pushed on them all the time. This isn't an example of a game of telephone. This is a natural reaction to what you're pushing to people and how you're pushing it to them. Yeah, this is this is the this is how Christianity spread initially, right? Is this uh doomerism, right? That the second coming is right around the corner. And uh I know it's still used to this day. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing in yeah. the sense of Christianity is, hey, you're going to die someday and there needs to be an answer to death. Here's the answer to the thing you can't control. Likewise, climate activists, climate alarmism, environmentalism is a response to the idea of we can't control the environment. We can only respond to it. Right. And that's where, you know, when you or however you want to say his name, it's talking about be in the community and find solutions. When the climate changes, how do we adapt to it? Yes, obviously there are ways we can influence the climate or not, right? Like if we're littering all the time, that's our climate, right? And clearly gases are going to affect the climate as well. But we can't be so narcissistic to believe we are changing things that drastically. Yeah. Right? And that's part of the, the, the narcissism that comes along with religion as well. Right. This idea that, oh, we're all victims of existence, but we're special enough that God cares about each and every one of us. It's the same thing here. Oh, we're all special enough that we're the ones affecting climate change. Yep. We're the ones affecting the environment. We can stop it. We can stop. We can stop existence. We can stop reality from operating the way reality operates. Yeah. We can defy the laws of physics and 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 generate electricity with windmills, even though it's mathematically impossible. That's why Sir Francis Bacon, right? Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. Yeah. Right. And do you see how, William, this connects to the last story? Yeah, I think here we're denying the nature. In the last story, we're denying the nature of people and people's choices and their individuality. And Right. They're dating doomers. Yeah, They're dating exactly. doomers because they doomers. think there's no hope. All right, not to be a doomer, but we were talking before we started recording about how uh, things aren't looking too good for movies this year. Let's talk a, a little bit about why that is in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. If you go to themidside.com or themidside.com slash podcast, uh, the link to the Discord is there, and that's how you can 
join the conversation, you know, drop us some farce you want to hear us talk about, check out the trailers. I usually put those in there the Saturday before we talk about them. But before we talk about trailers, I want to talk about a movie that came out that I'm sure William is excited about because it has lots of guns, lots of violence. William, I'm assuming you've seen the first three John Wicks. I've seen the first two. I don't think I've I don't think I've seen three. Or if I did, I was falling asleep on a plane while watching. Okay. Well, what did you think of the first two? And can you remember a difference between them? Between the first two, that's a good question. It's been a long time since I saw them. Uh, I think there was more guns and more explosions in the second one. I think that's all I can remember the difference. Yeah, so of all four of them, although it's hard to say now because four is fresh in my mind, but I will say the first three, the only thing I remember is one being different because it was smaller scale. One was all about they killed his dog and he went on a revenge tour to essentially avenge the death of his dog and deal with the grief of losing his wife because he had tried to get out of being a hitman in order to live his life with his wife. That didn't work out. So he goes on a killing spree. Now, two and three try to expand the mythology there. And this is where I start to lose any sort of memory and any differentiation between two and three. Two and three just seem to be the same thing extended. And then four sort of picks up on that. And I think one of the compelling elements of John Wick was, where is the mythology going? So I say all that so you can understand my review of the movie. Let me read my one sentence and then go into what I was saying a little bit more deeply without spoiling too much. So I gave this 3.5 stars. I said, like the installments in the franchise that came before it, John Wick Chapter 4 is rich in aesthetic and production quality and plain in narrative, which is what ultimately leaves it feeling underdeveloped. So I want to be clear. If you want to talk about cinematography, if you want to talk about romanticizing something stylistically, John Wick is a tremendous achievement, and it is worth seeing for that alone, regardless of what the content of it is. Right There are just some shots that you can tell. They're trying to make life seem beautiful. They're trying to make existence seem beautiful and amazing. And it's hard not to enjoy yourself seeing that because spiritually, it's very uplifting with that aesthetic. And it's done on such a high level of production quality. There's a level of skill there that needs to be rewarded and appreciated. So on that level alone, I would recommend the movie. However, John Wick has always sort of been building. It's been building this mythology of the underworld of the hitman. So William, through chapter two, through part two, what do you remember about that world? Like what are some of the key elements? That there was some rules about how they're supposed to interact and there was some honor among these but other than that it's been a long time that's about all i remember right so there's this whole idea of the table is who leads people right and we don't know who they are how they were set up or anything 
And I always kind of wanted to know, like, who are they? Like, how did they get to be in power? How, how do they continue to be in power? How, you know, can they be replaced? Can the rules be changed? Right. And there are elements of that. But even in this movie, they never really address it. And this is the sort of mini spoiler here, which isn't a huge spoiler. It's established pretty early in the movie, but it There's sort of speaks. The barn and Lori's pregnant. It sort of speaks to the issues with the movie overall. There's a line of dialogue early in the movie that's sort of like this character that becomes the antagonist for the film has been given power by all 12 members of the table. And that's all we hear of the table for the rest of the movie. So by battling this one character, John Wick is battling the table. And to me, that's kind of an easy narrative out. And it doesn't really engage the premise as well as it could. Hmm. So, look, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot, right? I mean, I don't know if it has a, as good of kills. I don't know if it's as inventive as the previous movies, although it's hard to top the previous three, right, because of how amazing they were. But it's still extremely high quality. And it's worth seeing. However, I don't know, I'll just kind of... I'll always sort of be left with a kind of a disappointment in my mind, and um, it's not as bad as the disappointment with the Matrix, but kind of disappointed a little bit here. And I, I don't think this one will be my favorite John Wick. And obviously they're setting up more stuff, right, with everything that's introduced here. So maybe they intentionally didn't do stuff because they have plans for all of it later on. I just don't want to say two more right now without spoiling things. Okay, let's move on. That's a movie that came out. Uh, Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out in Trailer Takedown. As I said, I post the trailers in the Discord so you can watch them whenever you want. Maybe you watch them all before we talk about them. Maybe you watch them all after we talk about them. Or maybe you alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Quasi is the most recent movie from Broken Lizard, the comedy production company that brought us Super Troopers and Beer Fest. I've obviously never seen Beer Fest, right? I don't, being straight edge, I have no interest in a movie called Beer Fest. Um, Super Troopers is funny. You know, it's got one of the funniest scenes I remember from a movie where the guy's in the back of the Troopers car and he licks the the glass and says the snozberries taste like snozberries like that's pretty funny and broken lizard can be funny sometimes this movie itself is about quasimodo and it seems like pope week occurs in rome and there's a raffle and quasimodo wins and he gets to ask questions of the pope look this is based on um this uh william correct me if i'm wrong here is this not a echo or a plot device that comes from the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Notre Dame? I don't remember. I don't. I, I that's 
one of the Disney movies I don't even remember seeing. Well, I'm even talking about the original <laughs> story it's based on by Victor Hugo, which I've never read. Yeah, I've but I know in the Disney movie he wins like the there's the Festival of Fools and he's yep. like the King Fool or whatever. Yep. Right, and I'm assuming that comes from the Victor Hugo story. So you see how this is similar to this plot device in this movie. Yeah. It's just I look. I'm, I don't think this is going to be terrible, and like I'm not going to like resent anyone who watches this or judge anyone who watches this like fine if you want to watch this watch this i don't know there's just so much content out there that i I don't think this is really worth worth my time the production quality doesn't look high enough i'm not that much of a fan of broken lizard tackle tackle yeah i i'm super troopers is not the kind of comedy for me and even looking at this preview this is not the kind of comedy for me so i will tackle Tackle. Second trailer. You Hurt My Feelings is a dramedy by A24 that has absolutely no comedy in it. This this trailer and all of the reviews in the trailer act like there's supposed to be something funny in here. But I don't find anything funny in here. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And the only reason I included it is, to me, this encapsulates multiple things one what a24 is about and why i don't like a24 and also sort of where our culture is at artistically and why a lot of the movies aren't that good why a lot of movies aren't that good this is literally called you hurt my feelings this is literally an entire movie about people in their normal average everyday life and everyday relationships being upset at their feelings being hurt by other people That is the premise of the movie. That literally sounds to me like somebody was bored during COVID and had no idea what to write about because everything interesting about their life had been taken away. And I think, William, as we look into uh, the last two trailers after this one, that we kind of realize that that's what's going on. All the creativity has been taken out of our society. It was starting to happen already with everything being franchises, right? And there was a picture on Twitter recently I saw that it was like John Wick 4, Avatar 2, uh, what was it, uh, Scream 6, right? And there's a something 3 recently that came out as well, right? It's all franchises in the movie theater right now, which I recognize. But, you know, Scream 6 at least did something invented, inventive with it. John Wick is at least a new franchise that they've just push through all the entries in really quick right the fast and the furious what number 10 now at least it's a longer franchise that has come out in the last 20 years right these are newer properties but i think post pandemic a nobody has any creativity because the world shut down for a year to two years but b This is where people's heads are at right now. We talk about doomers, right, in this episode. Isn't this the doomer version of the movie? You hurt, of a movie, you hurt my feelings? Tackle. Tackle. This was so boring. I didn't even realize it was a comedy until you told me, and now it's even worse. My God, was this awful. Awful. Tackle. Tackle. 
third trailer. Longest third date is a Netflix documentary about a couple who went on two dates, then on their third date decided to go out of the country, and they left on March 18th, 2020. I don't understand this movie, okay? I don't understand this movie on two levels. One, who saw what was going on in the world in March of 2020 and was like, I'm going to leave the country. Two, how do they have footage? These two people in this couple must just film themselves all the time. They must be super narcissistic. And that is one of the two reasons I'm going to give this a surprising rating. I just want to see how these two people interact when they're stuck together. Like this, like if you were like, I'm going to make a movie about two narcissists who get trapped in a foreign country during the COVID lockdowns and it's fictional, that would, I'd love to see that sort of like black comedy, dark comedy, right? The other reason I want to see this is I want to see the story they're going to start telling about the COVID pandemic. There's the potential that this whole documentary twists everything and says, oh, look, it was a good thing because it brought people closer together, which I think is factually untrue. But I want to see if that narrative is going to begun to be pushed by this documentary. So there's a curiosity to how this is executed, right? How they have all this footage, right? And what what's the ultimate point of this documentary going to be? Hug. Netflix and hug. Because it's Netflix. Um, yeah, the, I, I sniffed the same thing that you uh, just pointed out. I think this is uh, this is part of the uh, uh, pro lockdown propaganda. This is this 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 could be that, and for that reason alone, that's enough for me to say no. So tackle, tackle. Final trailer. One Ranger is the story of a Texas Ranger who's brought to England to hunt a criminal he was unable to catch in Texas. And you know what? I don't fucking need anything else, William. Like, this looks cool. It looks like... I I, I think they kind of underserve the protagonist in this, and I do worry that with the marketing of all of the uh, actors... Although I think the actor is is named uh, in the actual promotional stuff. But in the trailer itself, they don't really name the protagonist. But the idea of taking a Texas Ranger and bringing him into England to catch a criminal, like, that's a cool idea. And maybe this isn't done as well as it could be. But you know what? That's something I'll watch. Hug. Hug. It's got guns. It's got explosions. It's got Texas accent in in London, England. I'm all in, Justin. This looks perfect. Hug. Mm, hug. I I wouldn't say um, it looks perfect. It looks but. like a great summer action flick. That that's the kind of summer action flick I enjoy. That's uh, it's, it's I my soft spot. That. It's my soft spot. But, but perfect is a, a bit extreme. Well, but. it won't be. It won't. Be, it's probably no Independence Day. You're probably right. That's part of what I learned about you. So well, let's go into what we learned, because I learned something else about you. Go ahead, William. What did, we, what did you learn this trip? I learned that touching grass is the solution to climate change alarmism. Justin, what did you learn this week? 
Well, I think touching grass is a solution to doomerism in general, whether in dating or climate change. I learned that you did not realize that Julia Louis Julia Louis Dreyfus is a comedic actress. <laughs> Wait, no, no, I didn't see any acting happening during the show. This is a twenty-four, so I just assumed this was her trying to be an actor. Oh, uh, you thought this was her taking her dramatic turn? Yeah, yeah. Uh, say what you will about Julia Louis Dreyfus; she has never tried to make that transition. I commend her for sticking with what she's good at, although she is doing an A24 movie. But look, this is why I feel bad for actors, William. Okay, before we go into shilling here and end the show, I feel bad for actors because it's the same thing about, like, everyone had to be a superhero. Yeah. Right? Like, that's where the industry went. Like, you had to—it got so bad that Christian Bale had to be multiple superheroes, right? Well— are we to the point now that especially with everything everywhere all at once winning all these Oscars because it's, you know, sort of the, the least bad actually, you know, it's an actually enjoyable a 24 movie, except for the point, the existential point at the end, which I talked about when I reviewed it on the show, but because it won all these Oscars, especially, you know, even, um, Aronofsky, his movie, the whale got uh, Brendan Fraser an Oscar. Isn't every actor going to have to be in an A24 movie now? Oh, jeez. Naturalism on parade. Isn't that what it is, though? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've been ahead of this curve. Do you think we're at peak A24 yet? Because I do not think we are. I think we're getting there, but uh, the, I don't think we're at peak The, the, the problem yet. is A24 is a mix between naturalism and new stories. And we are so yes. starved for new stories that we'll take an occasional A24 just to see a new story. Well, right. And that's what everything everywhere all at once was, right? The idea yeah. of like battling across a multiverse, like they did that before Marvel, huh? Sucks for you, Marvel. Right. But at the end, the point that like, you know, oh, you know, I'd be happy just doing taxes and laundry with you. Like there's a big extreme between battling across the multiverse and being satisfied doing taxes and laundry. Like think of, think of doomerism, defeatism. Yeah. They're literally outside touching grass, and the point is no doomerism and defeatism. Now I'm reviewing everything everywhere all at once, but you brought it up, right? The idea that that's an inventive premise, right? Battling across the multiverse and the way they did it. But think about the way that ends. That's that's the problem with A24. It's the problem with A24, especially when you take out the inventive premise, and the premise is you hurt my my feelings. (laughs) That's literally the name of a movie, William. And I guarantee you that movie gets hyped. Does anyone want to take that bet with me? Does anyone want to bet you hurt my feelings does not get hyped? No, because it's a sucker's bet, right? Yep. All right. Well, you guys just heard me rant. Thanks for listening to me rant. If it wasn't for you, there would just be me talking into the corner of my closet. Literally. Ask Midsider Michael. He literally saw where I recorded it. Literally is in the corner of my closet. So I'm not making that up. That's just not something I'm saying over the top. If you don't believe me, ask him. If you want to support the show, you can go to the midside.com slash store, the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. You can buy my book at the midside.com slash the cut. All of these things are how we keep the lights on. But the best way to grow the show is to tell a friend, especially a female friend. Although... I don't know, William. Do you think she'd be offended at this episode? (laughs) Maybe. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emanzeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness 
The farce. The main cause of climate change? Chandler, it's all your fault. William, do you still have enough time to go outside and touch dirt and kickball? Uh, yeah, well, it'll be grass this time because we can't play on the dirt because it's a mud pit. Perfect. Touch grass. Beat climate change. <laughs>